Hello, and welcome to this Solace Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solacechurch.com. Matthew 6, verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to, stand, uh, love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may, may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray... Do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask of Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So this is the word of God, specifically these are the words of Jesus. Uh, Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Father, thank you for the access we have to you this morning through your son Jesus and for the words that we have from you through the mouth of your son Jesus here before us. And our desire is not just to hear them and learn uh, what you've said, Jesus, but we are here to be shaped by you. So uh, shape us today, Father. Uh, Further form us into the image of who you've called us to be, and to the image of your Son. Uh, I ask, Holy Spirit, for you to speak through me, for you to use me by your grace and mercy. Take what I've prepared and speak to your children through it. Uh, We ask you to give us ears to hear what you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Today, I am preaching from the title, The Father Factor. The Father Factor. Uh, Here in this passage that we just read, Jesus is moving on to another spiritual practice that he is expounding on in regards to how we as followers of Jesus should participate in that practice. It's a section here where Jesus talks about uh, doing good, that was last week, how to do that practice, like how to do good well. Uh, Here he talks about prayer, and then next week we're going to look at this topic of fasting, Uh, But there was uh, this common sort of rhythm in the culture that Jesus was speaking into that that would incorporate these three practices, charity, prayer, and fasting. It was a part of their everyday lives, but Jesus is bringing depth to how we partake in those spiritual disciplines in a greater way. And just like doing good, as we looked at last week, notice the expectation that Jesus puts on our lives as it relates to prayer. Three times in this passage here, Jesus uses this phrase, when you pray. When you pray. Notice, just like last week, he doesn't say, 
if you pray or if you do good, but when you pray. It is a expected part of our spiritual life. Now, when we're talking about prayer, what, what do we mean by that? Uh, the word, I think the idea of prayer has come to, in a lot of ways, uh, two extremes. Number one, it's come to mean almost everything. Like, prayer almost is so many things today that it's not anything. It's like, you know, prayer can be my thoughts, or prayer could be sort of my well-wish, or, or, or whatever it can be. Sometimes prayer can become so complex that it becomes uh, almost nothing. Um, but Jesus teaches sort of this balance when you look at his life and you look at his teaching here. Uh, we see prayer, it's, it's not just one single thing, but it's also not a myriad of, of, of a million things so that it's not anything. Here's how we could understand what Jesus means by this practice of prayer. When we talk about prayer, we're talking about intentionally directed communication with God. Intentionally directed communication with God. It's not... Uh, one specific way to do this. It's not, you know, you have to do it this way, um, but it's also not just generally anything. It's not just like, oh, I had a spiritual thought today. That was my prayer life. It's like, how's your prayer life? It's like, yeah, I was thinking about, you know, we did, we did all the time. We're like, oh, I've been praying about it. It's like, well, have you been intentionally directing communication to God about that thing, or have you just been thinking about it? Right? So, so this is what we have in, in our understanding from Scripture about prayer. Prayer is when I intentionally direct my communication toward God. Just like right now, I am intentionally directing my verbal communication towards you. Uh, this is what we have been privileged with in our relationship with God through Jesus. We have the opportunity to communicate with God. This is what a relationship with God looks like. God communicating to us through His Word and through His Son, Jesus by his spirit, and then us communicating with God through prayer. It's foundational to any and every relationship. Uh, communication, listening, and, and making sure I'm hearing the other person out, and also making sure I'm sh I'm, I have freedom to share what's on my heart. Communication, two-way communication. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was once asked this incredible question, and it was, what's more important in the life of a believer? Uh, Bible study Personal Bible study or prayer? You ever wonder that? Like, okay, if I have five minutes in my morning and that's all I have, should I spend it in Bible study or should I spend it in prayer? And, and Charles Spurgeon's response is, well, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? Inhaling or exhaling? Okay, so that's kind of the idea here that we get in Scripture, that, that when we spend time in the truth of God's Word, we are breathing in who God, who God is. But when we breathe in who God is, if we hold that breath in, we're going to suffocate. That breath is meant to be breathed out back to God in communication and prayer. So it's not just one thing, prayer, it's not just one kind of way to do it. We see with Nehemiah even, sometimes prayer is, is, is quick communication with God. It could just be a thought directed towards the Lord. Um, but it's also not a million kinds of things to where it becomes nothing. It is intentionally directed communication with God. Now, Jesus is teaching about this communication with God in prayer. And he's teaching a fundamental aspect a key factor of prayer that, that shapes actually everything about prayer in our lives. Uh, if there's one thing that Jesus says here is going to and is even right now shaping our entire prayer life, so whether or not we're communicating with God, how we're communicating with God, if we're communicating with God, what we're communicating with God, there's one central thing that Jesus is teaching here 
that shapes our entire prayer life, and it's this truth of the fatherhood of God. The fatherhood of God. It's six times in the passage that we just read that Jesus mentions God as our father. That's again why I entitled this message, The Father Factor. What Jesus teaches here is that this shapes everything in our prayer life. This truth that we are sons and daughters of God. That forms the basis of everything in prayer. That God is our Father and we are His children. This is obviously something that's not just true of God's character. We know God is the Father. His Son, is who is God as well. Jesus is the Son. We know God exists in a relationship of Father and Son. But this is true of our lives through the Gospel, right? The good news of Jesus. First, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 1. But as many as received Him, Jesus, to them He's given us the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. The gospel is the good news that though we were children of wrath, separated from God, enemies of God, the love of God displayed through Jesus going to the cross, Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life, the way to the Father, brings us into a place of becoming children of God. This is what the gospel is all about, our adoption. We belong to God, he is our Father, I love the way C.S. Lewis says it. He summarizes the gospel by saying that the Son of God became a man in order to enable men to become sons of God. Now, this truth is not just meant to be filed away as something that's theologically cool. You know, awesome. I belong to God. He is my Father. No, what Jesus teaches us here in the Sermon on the Mount is that this truth should be manifested in how I pray. It should be manifested and it should take shape in my prayer life. It forms the basis of my entire prayer life. Now, Jesus lists here in this text, he describes three ways that the fatherhood of God shapes our prayer lives. Three ways that it shapes Um, our prayer lives. The first is this. You can write the first one down. The first thing we see Jesus pointing out here about the fatherhood of God, the father factor in prayer, is that the fatherhood of God, number one, shapes why we pray. The fatherhood of God shapes why we intentionally direct our communication with God. We communicate with God. The The truth of the fatherhood of God shapes the reason for why we pray. And we see Jesus get to this point here in verse 5 when he talks about a contrast for why we ought to pray and why we pray compared to what he calls a hypocrite. He says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. When you pray, it's expected. And when you do it, don't be like the hypocrites. Here's why they pray. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets that they may be seen by men. So that's their why. If you were to ask a hypocrite, Hey, hypocrite, pharisaical hypocrite, why do you pray? Jesus would would, would interrupt and say, I know why they pray. The reason why they pray is to perform. It's to show off. And so in that culture, there was even scheduled times of prayer, certainly in the synagogue. These are two public prayer opportunities where you could lead the congregation in prayer or on the side of the street for the different Jewish appointed times of prayer. If you were a a really faithful Jew, you would not just show up in the synagogue, but you would at the the appointed times of prayer, you would not just go out on the street, but the the hypocrites, they'll go out to the busiest street, like where's the busiest street corner? It's prayer time. 
All right, and I gotta, I gotta show off how I can pray. And so they go to the busiest street corner, and the reason why they pray in the public setting, in these public ways, is to be seen. Now, the idea there is they want to be perceived as spiritual, to be seen and, and highly esteemed in the eyes of man. Um, so when they pray, they, I imagine that they're praying these really like deep, you know. King James language kind of prayers, thou art my father in heaven, and I beseech thee, I implore thee now for these sinners beside me, you know, and it's this, it's this attention drawing, attention grabbing purpose behind prayer, all right? Um, and Jesus says, but you, you see it there, verse 6, but you, that's not why you and I pray, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret, notice the contrast between praying to be seen by man, and this is just like doing good things. Last week we talked about doing good things to be seen by man, and notice the contrast again. Pray to your Father who sees in secret. Your Father always sees. And he who sees in secret will reward you openly. Jesus says the reason why you pray is not to be like the hypocrites that pray to be seen by man, but you pray because you are looking to engage, here's the reason why, in relationship with your Father. That's what prayer is about. Prayer is not about a performance. Prayer is about relationship with our Father in heaven. That's the why behind prayer. And it's, again, it's the fatherhood of God that shapes this reason in us. Why do I pray? Why would I want to pray? Why would I want to, like Jesus, spend time alone with God? Why would I set my alarm for 5 a.m. to wake up when nobody could, you know, no one sees me doing that, you know? Why would I do that? Because my father sees me. And the reason why I would, spend an, I would wake up to spend an hour with God is because I get relationship. It's about relationship with my Father, communing with my Father. Now, we see this certainly modeled in the life of Jesus, uh, uh, this prayer that's found in the secret place. It's real personal relationship with God. Uh, let me point this out here, that Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't have a public relationship with God. He's not saying, you know, next time you're asked to you know, this is, this, by the way, if you don't like praying in public, this could be a great excuse to not. It's like, hey, would you open up us in prayer? I'm like, sorry, Jesus tells me not to do that. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm supposed to pray in secret, okay? No, that's not what Jesus is saying, right? He's not saying don't publicly pray. Oh, in fact, you read all throughout the New Testament, you see plenty of cases where we should publicly pray. But what he is getting at here is we shouldn't reduce our relationship with God to just this public thing. The truth of our relationship with God is not if we pray in public, it's do we pray in private. The truth of who we are is not what we do in the public eye, but it's what we do before the eye of God in private. So this is true relationship with God. Um, there's this phrase that has been used a lot to describe the Christian faith that, you know, um, Christianity is a personal relationship but it's not a private relationship. I've heard that before. And often that phrase is used to say, like, you shouldn't keep your relationship with God to yourself. You know, like, you shouldn't hide that you and God are a thing. <laughs> like, you should be open and honest about your relationship with God. And I get the heartbeat and the sentiment behind that, that it shouldn't be private. But I think what that is meant to say is that it should be made public, 
okay? Because here's the truth. Your relationship with God should primarily be private. Primarily, first and foremost. M- meaning it's about your, your own intimacy with him when no one else is watching. And then that'll come out in public, right? But that's what Jesus is getting at, a real personal private relationship with God. That's modeled so that in my prayer life, when I pray, I close the door and I get away in secret. It's like I disappear. Um, we see this modeled in the life of Jesus. I think um, there's, there, uh, there's many examples of this. Uh, Luke tells us just first, I'll just show you this one first, that it was Jesus' custom. Uh, notice this in Luke 5. It says the report about Jesus went out concerning him all the more. He's, he's growing in popularity. Luke, here in Luke 5, Jesus is trending. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of, uh, by him of their infirmities. But notice Jesus. But he often, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. As the crowds are swarming, Jesus finds the reason all the more to get away, to be alone, to withdraw into the wilderness and pray. Uh, This was his custom. He did this often. I I love another great example of this is in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, It says, uh, let me go back a verse. It says, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary, or you could put in there, a secret place, and he prayed. There he prayed. Now, notice what happens. I love this, uh, this narrative here. Uh, it's, it says that Simon and all those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. I love this. Like, where's Jesus? Okay. We can't find him. Everybody's looking for Jesus, and he's nowhere to be found except he's been found by God. He's alone with God. He's right where he should be. You know, sometimes the best place you can be is... Um, in secret, like no one can find you. You're alone with God. Now, I know sometimes that's like, you're like, man, that'd be awesome. I wish I could do that. I wish I could just turn off my phone and become unreachable and be like, honey, I'm going to be gone for a week. You know, I'm going to go pray or kids. You know, Some of you are like, I've got responsibilities. But notice this, Jesus himself, he wakes up early. He finds the time to disconnect. Okay, and let me make, make a, an adjustment to that. He makes the time to disconnect. If you're, if you're looking to find the time to be alone with God, you probably won't ever find it as your life continues to grow and complexify. But Jesus understood that God was his father and that the, the primary source of his life was found in communion with him. And that can't just be another part of my life. That has to be the primary source of my life. So I'm going to make the time, even if it's waking up early, going to bed early, to wake up early because I'm alone with him. And I'm in a place where I'm disconnected from the world. This is so healthy. I've turned my phone off. I've put my phone away. And I'm unreachable. Like when's the last time you were unreachable by man in order to be reached by God? You're just disconnected. You're alone with him. Now, we know this, that privacy is paramount for intimacy in relationship. Just that, 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 that union, that quiet union in prayer. Uh, we see it was the fatherhood of God that Jesus is saying, teaching here and modeling, that should draw us into prayer, spending time alone with him in relationship. And I think a, a key um, aspect of this, a key point here, if, if you look at your life right now and you recognize that you haven't been prioritizing time with God, maybe the issue isn't just in your priorities, but maybe it's in your vision of God. 
It's in your understanding of who he is. The idea here is when I get a glimpse of who God really is as my father, okay, that loves me, Jesus says here, that sees me, I'm going to be drawn to prayer. His love is what's going to draw me in. Some of you, you haven't been in, in intimacy and personal relationship with God because you've distanced yourself, maybe because of your sin. And, and because of your sin, what sin does is it not only thwarts our depravity, but it thwarts our understanding of God. And it, and it can tend to, shame can be these blinders that, that I push God away. And I begin to create an image of God that's not true. And so now I have this angry uh, God who's mad at me because I haven't spent time with him enough. And he's kind of like waiting for me. Like, where have you been, you know? And so this false image of God is not drawing me into prayer, but it's, it's repelling me from prayer. Because um, it's like, I don't want to go home because I don't want to get in trouble. So I'm just going to stay out. I'm going to be on the run. But Jesus directs us to behold our Father um, who, who invites us into relationship, who, inv- who, who loves us, who sees us, who cares for us, who knows us. And that's meant to draw us into prayer. Um, I, I love Romans 8.15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. It's the spirit of God in me that doesn't distance me from God in the, in the bondage of fear, I'm afraid of God and what he's going to do to me, but the Spirit of God draws me close to know the love of my Father that that leads me to cry out, Dad, to call out to him in prayer. It brings me into prayer. Uh, John Tyson says this about this big idea. I love this, uh, this quote from John Tyson. He says, unless we break the stronghold of false images of God in our mind, we will never be drawn to prayer. Unless we allow the vision of the gospel to shape who God is to us and who we are to him, we will never be drawn to prayer. But if we instead, what we read in the beginning, if we behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we shall be called children of God. If this is our vision, we will, like Jesus, prioritize time with our Father. Prayer, the why behind prayer, will not, won't be any other thing except communing and engaging and being with my Father. Relationship with God, my Father, through prayer. Now, that's the first thing Jesus gets out. The second thing that Jesus uh, hammers down here is not just the why, but also the how. So, the fatherhood of God, it shapes why I pray. Why do I pray? Not to perform, not for any other reason, except for relationship with my Father. But the fatherhood of God, Jesus goes on to teach, it also shapes how I pray. How I pray, okay? Jesus goes on to say this. He says, and when you pray, verse 7, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So in teaching us how to pray in light of God being our Father, he compares and contrasts um, what a child of God is with, he calls a heathen or a pagan, who their, um, their method in prayer is, is these long, exasperated, eloquent, you know, like on and on and on prayers, okay? Uh, beating the dead horse in prayer is the idea here. And they pray with vain repetitions. This is how they pray. Uh, their, their, their goal in prayer is to get God's attention, okay? So it's kind of like being like an applicant 
for God's favor. Like, let me fill out this application with my prayer, and I'm going to use the right words. I'm going to pray. How long did I pray? I was only five minutes. Okay, God didn't hear me. It's usually like the seven to eight minute mark of me really praying the Lord's Prayer eight or nine times that then God fin- I finally get his attention. It's like the voice, you know, like psh, God turns his chair around. Like, I've, you know, it's like, it's like I've, I've applied and I've earned it. I've been accepted. And that is the way in which a heathen goes about praying. He says a heathen lives for God to, to gain God's attention through their prayer. And so how do they pray? He says they pray with vain repetition. And the word there translated into English literally means that they babble on. And it's funny, that it's an interesting word Jesus uses here. It actually is meant to be a word that is making the sound of like babble, babble, babble. Or like the modern translation would be blah, blah, blah. Like Jesus is saying when the heathens pray, they just pray these long blah, blah, blah prayers. And they have great length to them, but what they have in length, they actually lack in depth. It was Spurgeon who said this best about Christian prayer. He said, a Christian's prayer is measured by weight, not by length. Many of the most prevailing prayers have been as short as they were long. Now, what's Spurgeon getting at? He's getting at what the true nature of relationship with God is in prayer, how we ought to pray, not just in random blah, blah, blah length. We don't, we don't pray as one. How do we pray? We don't pray as one who's trying to get God's attention, but we pray with this weight in our prayer, with this depth in our prayers that comes from knowing that I have God's attention. Notice, notice what he says. He says, don't be like someone trying to get God's attention with your long and repetitious words who thinks you're going to be heard for that reason. Now now notice what what Jesus says. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you need of before you ask Him. Don't be like them. Why? Because you're not like them. You're a child of God. And the basis of God hearing your prayer and the basis of God's attention toward you is not in what you do, but it's in who you are. You're a child. He's your Father. And you have his attention. You always have his attention. I love the language of the Psalms that God's ear is attentive to our prayer. It's Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you. God has the greatest attention span in the universe. He's not like me with my three children, only able to focus on one at a time, barely. Especially if I have like another task going on. Okay, go talk to your mom. You know, that's usually what it is. God is able to always give his complete undivided attention to his children. Only God can perfectly do that. Imagine that. Imagine living with the certainty that God always hears your prayer. He's always attentive to your prayer. And he even takes it a step further. He's even aware of your needs even before you bring them to him. That's how in tune he is with you. And this is why, because he's your father. This will change how you pray. How you pray. You, you, you'll no longer pray as someone who's an applicant, but you'll actually pray the way Jesus leads us to as a child. Now, this is, is what Jesus gets at in Matthew 18 when his disciples were asking him about greatness. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who's the greatest among us? And Jesus in Matthew 18, when he's asked this question from the disciples, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of God? He says, it tells us this, that then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, 
and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, notice this, and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are converted and become as little children. Now, here's the truth. You are an adopted and accepted child of God. But Jesus says, but you also need to be converted and have the heart and the humility and the posture of a child in prayer. This is how, how we ought to pray. The fatherhood of God affects us. It shapes that we come to God, not as applicants, but as his children. Now, the hardest part, I think, sometimes with us praying as children of God is the fact that we're not children anymore. <laughs> like, it's hard for an adult who's got it all together to be like a child before God, which is how God really sees us, you know? We're just like babies with briefcases, really, you know? We, 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 we give off these personas because we've lived long enough. We have it all together. There's, as I grow, I'm able to solve my own problems. I don't need my parents anymore. We move from childhood to adulthood. But there's nothing in Scripture that's, that, that points to that happening in our spiritual lives. We don't move from childhood. Now, there is something that talks about being childish. When I became a man, I put away childish things. But those Scripture calls us away from childishness, Jesus calls us toward childlikeness. It's not being childish, but it's having this humble posture that depends on God, coming to God in such a way. Let, let me uh, unpack a little bit of what this looks like and how we pray. A, a child who comes before God, just as a child comes before their father, how do we pray? We pray thankfully. We come to God first. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. When you come to God this way as his child, you're, you're first and foremost not just going to be overwhelmed with all that's going on in your life, but you're overwhelmed with the truth that he's your father. You come to God, you're able to do what Paul says in Philippians 4. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I believe that, that that little part there about praying with thanksgiving plays a major role in the peace that God gives. I come to God as a child thankful that I have a father who hears me, who cares for me, who knows what I'm going through. When I come as a child before God, I come dependently. I don't have it all together. I, I need my dad to help me. I need my God to guide me, to, 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 to fill me with his spirit, to lead me, to intervene. I come dependently as a child would on their father. I don't have to act like I have it all together before him. I can depend on him as any child would. I can come before God as a child confidently, confidently, confident in the character of my father. In Matthew 7, we're going to look at this passage where Jesus talks about asking and receiving, knocking and it's being open, seeking and finding. And Jesus is saying, when you seek God, you will find him. And he uses this, this illustration of, of even asking something or seeking something from your earthly father. If any, he says, if any child on, on a normal occasion, let me read it to you just so that I don't butcher it, you know. Um, it's actually at the end of here in, in uh, Matthew, oh, Matthew 7. He says, or what man among you, verse 9 of chapter 7, if his son asks for bread, is going to give him a stone? Like we made hot dogs the other day and my son needed a bun for his hot dog. I mean, what a messed up thing it would be for Andrew if you just said, Dad, can I have a hot dog? I said, sure, son. And I gave him a hot dog between two stones. It's like, hope your teeth are going to be okay. Like that's, 
messed up. Like, what, what dad would do that? Like, he says, or if he asks for a fish, he gives him a serpent. Here's a fish. It's a long, poisonous fish, okay? Be careful. It's a hissing fish, all right? Who would do that? Like, what? He, he's, Jesus is saying, even in common grace, like, even broken, sinful fathers, most of the time, have made in the image of God this paternal instinct to, to bless and do good. Their kids can be confident, for the most part, in their care. He says this, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven? How much more, God? How, how confident the child, uh, a child of God can be, knowing that God is my Father? And lastly, honestly, and I can come before God as a child honestly. I can come before him because he knows me. and I don't have to perform my way into his favor. I can be who I am. I can pray honest prayers. Not just the right kind of prayers, but honest prayers, vulnerable before my father. Now lastly, all right, let's review here. Jesus again is talking about how the fatherhood of God it's the primary factor that shapes our entire prayer life. The, the fatherhood of God, number one, shapes why we pray. The fatherhood of God, number two, shapes how we pray. Okay, Why we pray? For relationship with our Father. How we pray? Not as applicants trying to perform our way into God's favor, but as children who have already been adopted and accepted by Him. And lastly, Jesus teaches on what we pray. How the fatherhood of God also shapes what I pray in my prayer life, what I bring to God in prayer, what I communicate to God. And Jesus teaches what we ought to pray in the famous, what has come to be known as uh, the Lord's Prayer, which, a little fun fact, about a year and a half ago, we did a whole four-week mini-series on. And so you might, have been, you might even be like right now, like, this sermon sounds familiar, okay? And so if it does, you can catch uh, a very similar one to it that is on our website from our series, Teach Us to Pray, where we walked through the Lord's Prayer here, where Jesus, notice what he says. We're not to pray. Here's what we're to pray. He says, in this manner, verse 9, therefore pray. Here's how you ought to pray. And remember, the contrast there is the heathen prays blah, blah, blah prayers. That's literally what he says. They, they say vain repetitions, blah, blah, blah. And, and Jesus says, no, that's not how you ought to pray. These kind of empty babblings, aimless prayers. As a child of God, Jesus is going to give us, in verse 9, the manner in which we ought to pray. And this is probably already widely known, but just as a, as a reminder, this is not meant to be this, like, um, this, um, like, formal uh, expectation, like, this is how you have to pray every time. Like, this, you have to say, our Father in heaven. So that's some examples of that. You have that today, where it's like, that's the prayer. I have to repeat this prayer. What Jesus is giving here is not a, uh, a standard for how we need to pray every time. Verse 9 says he's giving a manner. It's, it's a theme. It's, it's a thematic way to follow and, and filter my prayers through. And the contrast of this is just kind of praying kind of randomly every now and again. And Jesus wants to bring greater substance to our prayer lives. Okay? Prayer is this passageway between heaven and earth. It's this place where we engage with our Father in heaven. And Romans 8 even tells us that in, in prayer, I don't know if you've ever resonated with this, but Paul says, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. You ever been there? You ever been like, all right, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to pray to the Lord right now. What do I say? 
Maybe you've been there. Like, you're just kind of at a loss for words. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it's good just to be still and to meditate on God's word, to sing a worship song. I, I like to go to the Psalms and let sometimes David guide my prayers. But, but that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's giving us a guide. Just as the Spirit helps in our weakness, the Word of God helps in guiding us in what we ought to pray. Uh, and that's what, again, the fatherhood of God is shaping that. And, and so Jesus says, here's how you ought to pray. And I want to just give you what, kind of a recap of what Jesus says here. He says, first we're, we should pray these prioritized prayers. This is important in prayer. He says, in this manner pray, our Father in heaven hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I love that when Jesus gives us a manner and a theme to pray with, as he's guiding our prayer, he prioritizes us first praying according to the purposes of heaven. Not just coming with this like big grocery list of my needs, but before you try to align God's will with yours, align your will with his in prayer. Come before God and remember that though he's your father, he's your father in heaven. Father in heaven. Heaven speaks of intimacy, but our Father in heaven speaks of reverence. My Father in heaven, I come before God and I prioritize His purposes. Prayer is one of the greatest tools to align my will with God's, and I, and I pray concerning His name. Hallowed be your name. May your name be declared and set apart as holy. This world was created for the glory of your name, but man has strayed for the glory of their own name. But God, may I be someone that can live in such a way that your name is hallowed through my life. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What a priority. Jesus, not my kingdom, not the political kingdoms of this earth. We know that this earth is passing away. It's your kingdom. Now more than ever, I think, is a time in our culture where we need to be prioritizing this prayer. Jesus, bring your kingdom. And this doesn't just mean Jesus' return. That's the consummation of the kingdom. But God, bring your kingdom through my life. As I seek to live according to the Sermon on the Mount, as I seek to bring your good news into my workplace, as I seek to follow you, Jesus, as you brought the kingdom everywhere you went, you were restoring what was broken in the garden. Kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth ripped away, and everywhere Jesus went, he came and he brought healing. He brought the gospel. The kingdom came. May your kingdom come. Prioritize God's kingdom. A lot of us are too preoccupied building our own empires that we are not available to build God's kingdom. But prioritize this in your prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The idea there is God's will is perfectly done without sin in heaven. We're inviting God's will to be done on earth. And we're not just saying, God, we're going to sit back and watch your will be done. This is not just meant to be prayed in this theoretical way. Jesus will, will, is, is leading us to pray this way, to think about our own lives. God, your will be done. May I be an agent of your will being done on earth as I seek to do your will, as I seek to be about the things of heaven. So ha, what does Jesus lead us to pray? Prioritize prayers. This is really important. Not just coming to God with, uh, with you know, the idea is like me-centered prayers versus God-centered prayers. So when I prioritize the things of God, I'm already come, uh, positioning myself uh, in prayer in a healthy place. Now, that doesn't mean don't pray for yourself, okay? The, 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 the Lord's Prayer includes an invitation for basic needs. He says, go on, he goes on to pray, and he teaches us to pray personal prayers. But I want you to notice 
that what Jesus leads us to pray personally, it has this sort of holistic view to it. So maybe the second thing that Jesus leads us to pray is holistic prayers. So prioritize prayers, but then holistic prayers. Notice the, 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 the variety here. So give us this day our daily bread. That's material, right? Material. Um, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's about relationship. So body, give us our bread, and now soul. My relationships with others. I, I need, God, I need to forgive this person. Forgive me for my sin. Uh, Jesus goes on to explain that in the end about the kind of uh, the flow of forgiveness but from God to me and me to others. And if there's a stopgap between my forgiveness of others, there's usually a stopgap of God's forgiveness towards me. And Jesus tells a parable about this, uh, about a man who was released millions of dollars in debt. But then someone comes along who owed him a couple hundred bucks and he had him thrown in prison. And it's almost like he who's forgiven much should love much. He, forgiven people are forgiving people. And so Jesus goes on from just your body to your soul and your relationships. And, and forgiveness is the primary remedy to a healthy soul in every way. Receiving God's forgiveness, extending your forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, okay? But also spirits. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Jesus, provide for me. God, provide for me, my body. God, pardon me. Forgive me of my sin, my soul, as I forgive those who have sinned against me. And God, preserve my life. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Lead me not into temptation. Keep me from the evil one. Preserve me from the enemy. Keep me on the straight and narrow. What, what, what beautiful prayers. Now, all three of these prayers express dependence on God. God, give us. In other words, um, you have what I need. I need to pray. I, I don't have within myself the faculties to, uh, to, to gain what I need in life. I need to pray. I have to pray. I only have access to the life that God's calling me to through prayer. So I come to you and I say, God, would you provide my material needs? God, would you also heal my soul through forgiveness? And God, would you preserve me spiritually? Forgive me of my sin and lead me in a way everlasting. Uh, this is a holistic prayer. Not, you know, a lot of times we can just be very focused on the material. But when's the last time you just went to God and your, your prayer request was this? God, forgive me of my sin. Repentance. God's like, yeah, I can take care of that material need with the snap of a finger. You can have that job, but that's not your biggest issue. The biggest issue is a soul issue, maybe, or a spiritual issue. So here's what Jesus leads us to pray, holistic prayers. And then lastly, where we close, Jesus leads us to pray eternal prayers. Prioritize prayers, centering on God and his purposes before mine. Holistic prayers, looking to God to give me everything I need in every aspect of my life in prayer. And then Jesus leads us to pray eternal prayers. I love that this prayer ends, and some translations omit it, but oh, it's true nonetheless. We sung it on the front end. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is an eternal prayer. This is a prayer that is recognizing, despite what's going on in this world right now, despite what's going on in my life, God will receive the glory in the end. His is the kingdom. His is the power. No matter who has the kingdom now, no matter who's, who's hijacked the power now, in the end is God's kingdom. In the end is the reign of Jesus. In the end, Jesus will rule and reign for all eternity. What a great way to wrap up a prayer. 
God, in the end, it's all yours. My life is yours. The kingdom, the power, and the glory is yours forever and eternally. Um, And here's the good news of that. This God, again, he's our Father in heaven. And that truth of him being our Father and us being his children, it, it, it ought to shape everything, man. Certainly how we're praying. So have you been praying? How has your prioritized time with God been? Do you reflect the life of Jesus in making it your custom to be alone with God, to be unreachable, disconnected, alone with your Father? Have you lost sight of God as your Father? Have you, have you created false images of God that instead of His fatherly love drawing you into prayer, have these images pushed you away from prayer? And, and today, maybe you just need to, in a fresh way, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on me, and I'm drawn into prayer. I seek to prioritize time with Him because of who He is and who I am to Him. I'm a child, and so I come to him as his child. How do I pray? Not performatively, not as an applicant trying to get God to turn his chair around, trying to get his attention, trying to garnish and gain his approval and favor, but I come as an already accepted, adopted child of God, and I'm going to convert myself into the posture and humility of a a child before him, dependently, thankfully, confidently, honestly, Letting him lead me in what I pray. Letting Jesus' word shape me to be someone who doesn't just prioritize my own needs, but I prioritize the purposes of heaven. I come to him holistically with this eternal perspective that his is the glory in the end. So that's our understanding of this teaching uh, that Jesus gives us, the father factor. This is how the fatherhood of God shapes everything about us. Let's respond to who God is here in a moment as we praise him for that.